we're going to talk about hepatitis. There's three different types of hepatitis, A, B, and C. And hepatitis is inflammation of the liver. You can have acute or chronic hepatitis. Um, we'll talk about each one individually, and then we'll kind of combine things together here. Um, hepatitis A is typically transmitted through the fecal route. Um, so this is commonly seen, you know, if um, someone isn't washing their hands and then they're preparing food, then this could be passed on to someone else. Um, occasionally, hepatitis A could be passed along um, through sex, uh, specifically anal sex. You know, there's this increased chance of passing on fecal matter, um, but otherwise it's usually through, you know, food that was not prepared um, by, you know, someone wasn't washing their hands adequately. Um, with hepatitis A, it usually your immune system is able to um, eradicate that on its own. Um, I mean, the patient will be sick for some time and they're contagious for some time, but um, they usually end up healing without any type of medication that gets rid of it. They'll have like medications for the various symptoms they might have, like with nausea and vomiting or abdominal pain. Um, luckily, we can prevent hepatitis A because there is a vaccine for that. Um, this vaccine is typically given. Um, it's typically given around the um, age of one. Um, and then if, you know, for some reason somebody didn't get it, but they're, you know, at high risk of getting it in certain populations, then they could also get the vaccine as well. So just teaching um, patients proper hand hygiene, how to prepare food appropriately, um, could also help prevent hepatitis A. Hepatitis B and C are transmitted um, virtually the same way. We're worried about passing on blood and body fluids that have hepatitis B or C in them. Um, so, for example, um, patients who are sharing needles, so drug users who share needles um, could be a risk, um, or sharing needles for other reasons. Um, having unprotected sex could pass this along. Um, could be passed along through um, the birth canal when mom's having baby if she has hepatitis B or C. And these usually, sometimes they might need a little bit of help. Uh, the body can't always get rid of hepatitis B on its own. Most of the times it can. Um, but in the event that the patient's not getting better, we can give certain antivirals to help get rid of hepatitis B. Don't expect you to know um, all the specific types. Um, they, they're even coming out with newer ones. Um, but just knowing that, I, that we could give an antiviral to somebody with hepatitis B if it is not going away on its own. But most of the time we see that the patient will recover from hepatitis B and we're just treating the symptoms. Um, now with hepatitis C, it's a different story. Um, hepatitis C even though they can be passed on through blood and body fluids like hepatitis B, hepatitis C likes to mutate a lot. And that is why we do not yet have a vaccine for hepatitis C. So we do have a vaccine for hepatitis B, and we also have one for hepatitis A, like I mentioned earlier.
The vaccine for hepatitis B um, is typically given um, in three doses. Usually that first dose is given at birth, and then the next two are just spread out um, throughout the first about year and a half of life. So usually by 18 months of age, most um, infants should have been fully vaccinated for hepatitis B. But like I said, hepatitis um, C, we don't have that vaccine for because it constantly mutates. And that's another reason why hepatitis C is the one that's most likely to have complications like cirrhosis and some permanent damage there. Um, and it doesn't usually go away on its own. Um, hepatitis C is more likely to need medications like the antivirals. So like I said, there are certain antivirals that they're um, using more now. There's new ones that are coming out to help with these patients. Um, one of the old ones um, was called ribavirin. And ribavirin they do still use. Um, but what ribavirin will do is it'll prevent um, that virus from replicating and continuing in the body. But then there's a whole lot of additional antivirals that they're coming out with to help as well. So thinking about like the course of these diseases, um, a, a lot of times when a patient has hepatitis, they won't have any kind of symptoms at all initially. Um, and then as it progresses, they could start having symptoms. So they usually kind of go through phases. Um, and, and if they do have symptoms, um, kind of initially in an acute phase, they'll have kind of those generic symptoms of belly pain. Um, they have nausea, vomiting. They're really weak and tired. Um, so we need these patients to get a lot of rest. Um, as the disease progresses, we might start to see um, some jaundice appearing. And the reason they can have jaundice is with the, the liver not functioning well and the bile is not able to get excreted from the body as it normally does, like through the stool, you could have um, bile building up. Um, and then that could cause jaundice. And also, it's kind of weird, the buildup of bile salts cause um, itching. So the patient could have a lot of itching as well. Sometimes what we also see, um, because the bile is not able to get out through the stool, you can actually see, um, assess the stool, and their stool is going to look paler because the stool um, color is usually brown or tan because of bile being excreted through the stool. So in patients with hepatitis, they might have a pale or a light kind of clay-colored stool. And then sometimes what happens is um, bilirubin. So bilirubin, what happens is bilirubin is produced in the liver. It's excreted as bile, and then bile is stored in the gallbladder, and then it's used as needed, and it goes through the rest of the GI system, the small intestines, to, like, break down things and, like, break down fats. Um... So what we might also see is we might see bilirubin start to build up because it's not able to get out of the liver. Um, and it can actually start to spill over into the, um, the urinary system. And the patient's urine may actually test for um, elevated bilirubin levels and be a lot darker. So instead of it coming, instead of bile, um, instead of bilirubin being broken down, into bile going out through the GI system and into the stool and having that dark stool. We don't have that now. Now it's going out through the, the, um, 
the urinary system and we have a darker urine. Kind of interesting. Um, so the patient continues to have fatigue and this can last for months. Um, you know, hepatitis A and B, even though eventually they'll go away, they can be sick for a long time. Um, and so some of the complications that they're at risk for is, um, of course, the liver being permanently damaged to the point to where um, they would need, you know, a liver transplant or parts of the liver removed. We don't see this too commonly with hepatitis A or B, but we could with C because, like I said, with C, it can mutate. It's hard to treat um, as far as, you know, we can't really prevent it. There's no vaccine for it. Um so the, those patients do have a higher risk of complications with hepatitis C um, and having chronic cirrhosis of the liver, um, which could lead to the need for a transplant. You also have to consider the fact that the liver does a lot more than just, um, you know, release the bile and help break down fat or even metabolize things. One of the other big things that it does is it produces clotting factors. So if somebody has a liver that's malfunctioning because it's inflamed, there is a risk of bleeding with that as well. So how do we know if a patient has one of these types of hepatitis? Um, what we can do is we can do blood work and we can test for an actual antigen for the various hepatitises. Or we can also do blood work and test for antibodies. You know, have they built up antibodies um, for the specific different types of hepatitis? I do not expect you to know the various antibodies, antigens. Um, that's just a little bit too much detail. Just knowing that we can do that blood work. You know, we have the symptoms that we've gathered from the patient. And then we can do some blood work to help confirm. Other blood work that we can do um, is like the liver enzymes. So AST and ALT, um, we could do both of those, and those will typically be elevated because um, of the inflammation of the liver, and it's not functioning appropriately. We also might notice, um, like I said earlier, bilirubin in the urine. Or we might notice um, prolonged prothrombin times. So you talk about somebody's PT um, that blood test that looks at how fast it takes the blood to clot. So I mentioned a few minutes ago about the risk of bleeding. So they might have prolonged prothrombin times, meaning it's taking longer for blood to clot because their liver is malfunctioning and not producing those clotting factors. We could also do um, imaging tests to see if the liver's enlarged. Um, so we could do, um, you know, CT, MRI to help visualize that. Sometimes they'll go in and they'll do a scope and take a biopsy of the liver as well to test for inflammation and cirrhosis. So as far as how are we going to help these patients, um, we've talked about the vaccines available, symptom management, um, there's abdominal pain, there could be nausea and vomiting. They don't necessarily have to have a specific diet because this is not originating um, in the GI system, like with appendicitis, um, like we see more kind of GI issues. Um, it kind of depends on how they're progressing. You know, if, if they have a lot of nausea and vomiting, then maybe we just have them eat some kind of bland food, but there's not really a specific diet per se to treat hepatitis. Um, sometimes we may suggest low fat diet again, because high fat foods might cause more nausea and vomiting. 
Um, the other reason for a low-fat diet uh, could be beneficial is um, the fact that the bile, if the you know, bile is not able to break down the fat because the liver is malfunctioning, uh, low-fat would help reduce that nausea and vomiting for that reason. Like I mentioned earlier, they need a lot of rest. They need to actually rest just because, in general, they're fatigued, but also just to reduce that metabolic demand on the whole body and let the the liver rest. The liver will need rest to help kind of regenerate and heal itself because it can regenerate, which is also pretty cool. Um, we want to tell them to avoid alcohol, of course. Um, smoking can cause symptoms to be more severe as well, so they should avoid smoking. And for pain, we don't want them to have acetaminophen because that's metabolized through the liver. So we would use something other than acetaminophen. And then they might just have some supportive treatment. Like for nausea, we could give antiemetics like promethazine, which is Phenergan, or ondansetron, which is Zofran. Those are just a few examples. Really encouraging um, a lot of fluid intake to help kind of flush things out. Um, more small frequent meals just to help with some of those associated GI symptoms that are happening. Um, any type of comfort measures that might help with the itching as well, you know, whether it's giving them diphenhydramine or some type of lotion to help with, with the itching. And then as far as just from here on out, um, you know, once they're healing and getting better, just teaching them about ways to prevent, how can prevent passing this along to someone else, like proper hand washing, how to prepare foods appropriately, um, safe sex practices, not sharing needles, um, if they have hep B or C, when you know in that active form, they shouldn't be sharing, um, like personal materials like toothbrushes, razors, that sort of thing, because they could pass it along to someone else. I think that's a pretty good overview of the different types of hepatitis that we can see. Um, helps you see some of the the differences, but also a lot of the similarities between the three. And there are actually other hepatitis. Um, there's hepatitis like D and E, but A, B, and C are the ones we're going to focus on because those are the most common that you'll see.